Welcome to the premiere podcast, February 2006 of Ordinary Means. You can find us on the web at ordinarymeans.com. My name is Sean Nolan. I'm the pastor of Viewcrest Presbyterian Church in 84, Pennsylvania. That is the name of my city, not my uh, root number or anything like that. Ordinary Means exists to call God's people to reformation, a return to God's ways, the ways God says that he works by faith through his spirit in his word. I want to start this morning by introducing uh, those of us sitting around the table. Uh, R.C. Sproul is not sitting here at the table this morning, although Lord willing, we're going to work on it and we'll, we'll get him on here for a future podcast. So stay tuned. This is a reason to come back and listen to future podcasts because R.C. Sproul will be here someday. If we have to get him on his deathbed, we will get him on this podcast someday because uh, R.C. Sproul agrees with us and that's all the reason you need to be uh, listening to this podcast. Well, let me tell you who's sitting in this room. Uh, sitting in this room are three pastors deeply concerned about the state of the church today, uh, deeply desirous to see our church today strengthened. Uh, we believe that uh, that strengthening begins with the churches. Uh, we want to see other pastors joining us uh, in leading our congregations back to an appreciation for and a dependence upon the ways God has said in his word that he works, his ordinary means. And that's where we get the title for our podcast. So I guess you could say we are ordinary men calling you back to the ordinary means. How's that for a tagline? Should we stick that on the website? I like that. Okay. Let's go for it. Ordinarymeans.com, if you didn't catch that earlier. Well, let's start with you, Matt. Uh, Matt Bowling is pastor of Laurel Highlands Presbyterian Church in Greensburg, PA. He's uh, on the board of a ministry called QUIP, and that's not a reference to a joke. Uh, that is QUIP, Christian Witness to a Pagan Planet. It's the ministry of Peter Jones. Uh, some of you may be familiar with his ministry, a former seminary professor, both Matt and myself. Uh, Matt's also a New Yorker and a fellow graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary in California with myself. Matt, uh, tell us a little bit why you think this podcast is necessary. Why is this close to your heart? Well, I think that one of the reasons that I think the podcast is necessary is that there's a real lack of confidence in uh, church leaders today, especially elders, that mm. um, yeah. God's means can get it done. That we can have thriving, healthy, uh, growing, reproducing churches if all we do is just what God says to do. Amen. Amen. Um, I think, too, I think that a reason for the podcast is that I think that we've got to, if you will, sort of recast the biblical vision for ministry. If... Um, if ministry flows from an application of the biblical mission, we're going to think about the Great Commission a little bit later, but if it's the biblical mission to a particular situation, if that's our concept of vision, that's what Harry Reader teaches, and I think that's good. Um, we need sort of, if you will, not just a vision for individual churches of how they take the Great Commission to their community, but we need sort of a meta-vision, if you will, hmm. something that, that is true of all churches, in the way that they go forth in their communities and minister. Um, and that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist today. You know, that's so true. How often do you go to another church, hmm. even within your denomination, and you, you sit down and it's just so different? The, the ministry is different. The, uh, the programs are different. Everything is different about the way that that church is operating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, it feels disjunct. Yeah. The, the Church of Christ feels 
disjunct for one, from one another. And somehow, and I, and I hope even through this podcast, we can talk about that, how churches can come back to a biblical uh, means. Uh, we've also got uh, Peter Jones with us, not the Peter Jones who was a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, this Peter Jones is um, a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. Uh, he formerly pastored First Baptist Church in Cannonsburg, PA. And he is now serving here at Viewcrest uh, with us as a, a fellow shepherd, a ruling elder. And he's studying at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hoping uh, to bring Peter on staff here and Lord will and send him out to do some church planting in the future. Uh, Peter, why do we need churches that need that? Why do we need churches to return to an ordinary means of grace? I think um, a lot of the churches have bought into the way the world does things a ever increasing need for excitement and mm. uh, mm-hmm. thrills and not being content with uh, laboring diligently consistently regularly um, using mm-hmm. preaching sacraments and prayer so I think the method of worship and our approach to vision as Matt mentioned and things like that is more adopted from the world today on the whole than it is from the scriptures yeah and so because of that, calling people back to these ordinary means, we're basically saying the reason the church is in such a poor shape today, the reason the evangelical church in America has so little impact upon the culture is because they're like the culture mm-hmm. and that they demand more and more excitement. And God says, no, no, I work through very regular, ordinary means, and these are what they are. And mm-hmm. if you implement these, you will see growth. And if you don't, you won't. Spiritual and numerical growth. And so... Um, calling the church back these things to just saying, forget what the world's doing, forget how the world does it, let's come back to what God says in his word and how God works in his word, and let's do it that way. And mm-hmm. trust in him to fulfill his promises. That's good. Amen. Yep. Well, our purpose uh, here at Ordinary Means, uh, we've got that purpose statement there on the web. Uh, Ordinary Means, it says, exists to call the Church of Christ to reformation, back to a trust in God's means, the word, the sacraments, and prayer as the primary means that God uses to seek, save, and sanctify the lost. Now, the funny thing about that is, is I hope that's not revelatory. <laughs> you know, I, I hope that's not new to folks. I, I hope that they don't read that and they go, wow, that's just, that, that's shocking that, that you would do that because uh, that's biblical ministry. That, that is a return to the way the church should work. That's the focus of the Christian life. Uh, now, before we get into what all that means, um, maybe we need to lay out why we're doing this. Uh, what are some of the problems? You've, you've both mentioned some of them already. Uh, entertainment being so prevalent in the church today. Everybody wants a, a thrill. They want to mm-hmm. go to the extreme. Uh, I uh, remember listening to an, uh, a song. This is going to... Uh, uh, place me. I was listening to an Avril Lavigne song. Avril Lavigne. Some I don't know. Junior hires listen to her, and she she has this rock song that uh, is a very driving song about how I I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be different. I want to go to the extreme. Don't. And, and essentially, she's singing this. I'm thinking she's saying I don't want to go to church. Hmm. I don't want to go do those things that ordinary people do. You know, I want to, you know, in, in the song, she actually says, I want somebody to stab me so that I'm laying there bleeding on the sidewalk and I want to feel what it feels like to touch death. Hmm. 
And yet what we're doing here is saying, no, you don't need to go there. And, and the church doesn't need to go right, there. Right. That the church can find everything it needs. It can find the extreme. It can find mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Through the ultimate very, extreme. The ultimate extreme through very ordinary means. You know, Ted, Ted Tripp says that, um, that, particularly in talking about children, that all children are built, they have a built-in wowometer. That we're all made. Um, <laughs> wowometer. Wowometer. Yeah, we're all made to be awed. Mm. And we can either teach our kids how to be awed by God and by His grace and the wonder of the gospel, or we can teach them how to be awed by video games and the acquisition of possessions and the, the busyness of life. That we're teaching them what to worship and why in everything that we do. Mm. But I think that's just a little tiny subset of what the church is doing. Yeah. Is that where you lose particularly the word and it, the word is brought out to people week after week in the church primarily for where they are and for what they think they need instead of advancing upon people the scriptures and say this is what God's like he's the only one that can satisfy you. Mm. That's when was we've that, lost it. Was was that Pascal the the God-shaped hole vacuum. Yeah. That God-shaped yeah. vacuum in our hearts. Oh. And to tie in with that, it just shows how not, you can't always, it's not a one-to-one relationship per se, but the effect of the church leaving the ordinary means has spilled over into the family life, mm-hmm. has spilled over into the culture as a whole. Uh, we see people who are very discontent to stay at any particular profession for any extended period of time. Or, or with any particular woman. Woman yep, for any absolutely. period of time. We see families who have difficulty just being families. There's always got to be something going on because we don't want to be ordinary. Uh, that would be mm. really bad. Mm-hmm. So not only ha- do you see it in the church, and it, did the culture affect the church or church affect the culture, probably a combination of both there, but you do see that that idea of ordinary has been lost in everyday life as well as in the worship of the of the church, the corporate worship of the church. Well, I think you see that in the immaturity of people. You know, Barna's, you're going to talk about Barna a little bit later in the newest book that he's got, but one of the great services that Barna has given to us as pastors is just to say, hey, you know what? Probably about 75% of the people sitting in your church, they don't have a biblical worldview. How has that happened? How does that come yeah. about where their morals are no different than anybody else out there? And I think it comes out because these means have been lost. Exactly. That, that if yeah. the spirits at work through the word, um, through the sacraments, through prayer, then people are transformed. But if you aren't giving them that, then how can they be transformed? If they're not transformed, what does that tell us? If, if they're not being transformed by grace, are we giving them the means of grace? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the question that, that pastors need to ask themselves. Yeah. I mean, even, even we, I mean, we all believe in an ordinary means of grace ministry, but we're still continually checking ourselves. Uh, well, you mentioned the you mentioned the Barna book. Barna has this new book, Revolution, and uh, and in that book, I don't know if I have the the quote here, but he, he essentially says that the church has become extinct. And uh, Albert Moeller, in reviewing Barna's book, he says that this book is essentially a death pill for the church. It's essentially giving the evangelical church, uh, you know, the right to throw up the closed sign and go home. And that is that is just that's it's fatal. It's very very dangerous. Well, it's it's and it only reflects half the truth. Certainly, 
people, these means of grace are not just within the church. Certainly we believe, certainly not the sacraments, but the word and prayer certainly are also private uh, and family. That we expect that those things happen privately in somebody's life, but also in family worship. You know, that's something we oh, and we're going to give we're going to give a lot of time to family worship in a, in a future podcast. The um, but so we only see half of it. Yeah, yeah, Christians can grow through the word and prayer in groups and outside of a church. But does God do something unique in preaching, or doesn't He? That book says that He doesn't. Yeah, where the scriptures say that He does. Absolutely, and it comes back to it comes back to trusting God. And faith in God and faith in what God gives, not in faith in our actions per se. And I think that's kind of the twist there. A lot of times we are so zeroed in on what's going on and how can we fix this situation? How can we change it? Or is it beyond change? Is it beyond fixing? And the answer is no, it's never beyond fixing, but it's never in your hands per se to fix it either. Um, we obey mm-hmm. and we and we trust that God's going to do what he's promised to do in his word. And mm-hmm. those are the things that, that that's where we hang our hat so to speak and sometimes we get lost faith-based model it is it is and not a not a lazy faith-based model no but a faith-based model the uh i have a quote here a little piece by scott clark uh he's got a piece that's available on the web called the evangelical fall from the means of grace it's on the lord's supper Uh, but he he writes this a lengthy quote i want to read it to you though because i think it's important here he says, the prayers have been offered, the promises read, the psalms sung, and two princes stepped forward to receive communion. But the deacon refused to give them the cup. Uh, the superintendent of the, city's, uh, the city uh, had a pastor, a second minister, present to take the cup from the deacon and to give it to the nobles. And a struggle for the cup then ensued. Outraged by the deacon's insubordination, the superintendent excommunicated him on the spot. Uh, This nasty business occurred in 1559 in Heidelberg, Germany. The minister was the Lutheran theologian Tillemann, uh, Tillemann Hessus, uh, and the deacon was a Zwinglian named Klebitz. And he says, as ugly and sub-Christian as it was, the story of the communion combatants of 1559 reminds us of a time when men took seriously the means of grace. And it presents us with a sharp contrast to our own times. Few evangelical Christians or churches in our time are so devoted to the supper as to be willing to argue about its proper use, let alone physically struggle for the cup. Why? He says it's because we've become practically anti-supernatural and simultaneously super-spiritual in our theology. Now, he breaks that down for us. He says, so that we are, on the one hand, bored with God's ordinary means of grace, and on the other hand, we've stopped believing that God can and does use those means to accomplish his purposes. And he says, that's to say, we're guilty of unbelief. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so ultimately, a church that is not operating on an ordinary means of grace ministry is guilty of unbelief. And I, and I, don't, I don't say that judgmentally. I say that compassionately. I, I say that urgently, pleading with churches that we need to be called back to saying, you know, what does God say in his word we need to do? And how does God say in his word that he works? Mm. A- and let's do that. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're right on. The Westminster Shorter Catechism um, is where we get the language, uh, and that's where we need to go next. I'm sure there are folks listening to this, um, all two of them, maybe four of them, our wives are listening to this. 
uh, maybe some of our kids are sitting around the computer <laughs> listening to this. Uh, some of the folks listening may not be familiar with this phrase. We're bantering around ordinary means of grace. Um, what does it mean? Uh, let me let me read the shorter catechism. I'm gonna turn it over to you guys and let's let's talk about what this means. Uh, shorter ca- Westminster shorter catechism, question 88 asks, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? This is important. I mean, how does God communicate redemption to us? And the answer is this, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. What does that mean? What are we talking about? Well, we should probably remind people of what the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, because some of them may not know That's true. What catechisms like uh, what the Catholic Church does. Um, catechisms, of course, were a teaching tool that came out of the Reformation era in the um, 16th and 17th century primarily, and they were a way of summarizing the scriptures. And so if we were uh, able to link this up on the website for you, you'd see that these even these very phrases, uh, most of them come uh, from the scriptures, and they're certainly uh, scriptural doctrines. And so this isn't an attempt to... Uh, Catechisms are not an attempt to assert the word of man over the word of God, mm-hmm. but to summarize the word of God. We call them subordinate documents. Right. They're essentially just, summaries of what the Bible teaches. Right. Exactly. It's interesting. I didn't uh, put a lot of thought into this, even in our prep, but uh, we may want to, in the future, talk about what are the other ordinances. Well, we'll get to that a little bit today in the sense that we'll talk about, uh, are, are these the only ones? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let me take the word. Um, these are, uh, the way the catechism question puts it is the outward and ordinary. And so these are ways in which God, uh, if you will, uh, gives us uh, grace uh, that we might be saved uh, at the outset uh, and that, that we might be sanctified once we're um, within uh, the kingdom of light. So if especially God uses the word, uh, what are we talking about there? I think what we're talking about is that the word is what God uses to convince us um, of our sin, convince us of the wonders of grace, uh, to convince us uh, of who he is, who we are, what the world is like. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier that Barna has all these statistics about people's worldview not being developed, and I think it's got to be, hmm. because the fullness of the word is not taught. Worldview is a hard thing to create in people. There's a lot of work to overcome in terms of the culture. Um, and so that God would use the word uh, primarily in our growth makes perfect sense. The word comes to us, if you will, and uh, confronts us uh, with a different way of thinking than we would think naturally. Um, and so it's that consistent application of the word by the church, by individuals, by families, uh, where God continues to change us. Well, we, we have that, that wonderful promise in Romans ten seventeen that faith just the very faith that we have to believe. Faith comes from hearing. And what is that hearing of? It's hearing of the Word, word. of God, mm-hmm. the Word of Christ. I think it's important to realize there that when someone preaches, it is Christ speaking in a very real sense. There, there is that authority. There's that. And I mean, and Peter, First Peter talks about this. He says, you have been saved by this incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God preached 
to you. Hmm. So when when he didn't say written, it isn't in the in the written page. Although obviously that's infallible and inerrant and all that. But when a preacher stands up to expound the word of God, he's giving the very words of Christ. As and I think the reformers and the church fathers and uh, great men of God since then have understood that when it comes to the preaching of the word, there is a definite authority there, and our disdain for the preaching of the word and disdain for the ordinary means of that are are one of the reasons why the churches are so filled with anti-biblical worldviews, are so mm-hmm. filled with people, yeah. and preachers don't preach with authority either. I mean, that's part. That's the flip side of it. Mm-hmm. Not only do people not hear yeah. as if they're hearing the words of Christ. But pe- preachers don't preach as if they're preaching the words of Christ either anymore. They preach as if, um, you know, it's it's just a little chat. And uh, no, mm-hmm. no, no, this is the word of God, and we're binding and we're loosing in a very real sense. Not mm-hmm. necessarily the Catholic sense, but we're binding and we're loosing. And the keys belong to the king, to us, to the preachers. So you know, the preaching of the gospel is the, is the key that opens uh, the doors of the kingdom to the people hearing the preaching. Mm-hmm. So... I think that lack of authority there, uh, both in the preaching and in the hearing, it lends itself to a, a very uh, hungry and starving people um, by choice a lot of times. Well, now, Peter, you mentioned the um, uh, not not only in the preaching but in also in the reading. Obviously, we have Bibles. That's that's a fairly recent phenomena. If mm-hmm. you look at history yeah. as yeah. a whole, uh, do, do you guys think that the prolif Proliferate the prolification of books in our society today has has sort of tended towards uh, a downplaying of the role of the scripture because we all do have it. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. I think people turn to Doctor Phil before they turn to the scriptures, hmm. and the, as they try and understand things, they're turning to first to human authors. No, that's not that that human authors can't be real helpful. I've already mentioned one that I've Ted Tripp, <laughs> who I've gained a yeah, lot from. Certainly, but I think that the most useful human authors are the ones who. Um, talk in particular about the scriptures and how the scriptures apply to us. And this comes back again to the lack of authority from the pulpit. I mean, when you stand up, you're not Dr. Phil. You're you're Christ, in a sense. In a very real sense, you are preaching the words of Christ. And if people aren't listening, they should be chastised for it. And I think sometimes, I mean, obviously, we're shepherds. I'm not saying, you know, be mean. I am saying, though, not usually be mean. Sometimes you can, um, <laughs> if it's necessary. If the text. It, it, yeah. But what I'm saying there is that the authority is lost because, because we, have, we have let it been taken from us as pastors. And the church, Big C, mm-hmm. has allowed the, uh, the Bible to become a sidelight, and, uh, both in their thought, and a, but especially since we're talking about the preaching, in the preaching of the Word. It's that place we get nice little principles for how to do the things that we're really about. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is no different than Phil or Oprah. That's the yeah. that's the whole point. Just the source I mean, is different. Yeah, just yeah. the source. Well, you got Jesus here and Phil here and Oprah here, you know, and and you just kind of you kind of lump them all together. Well, I'll go I'll listen to Dr. Phil Monday through Friday and I'll listen to Jesus on Sunday and kind of and and we're not we're not standing up there giving you good principles to live by. It's life and death that we're setting before them and uh, you choose life or you choose death and, and ha- they have to understand that Dr. Mm. Phil he doesn't have life or death in his hands you know he may think yeah. he does but he doesn't I think <laughs> some of this flows too in terms of this lack of focus on the word that people actually don't want it hmm. the preachers are doing what the people want but why don't they want it I have sort of a general rule that the kind of gospel that somebody hears is the kind of disciple they become hmm so if somebody hears a, 
a, uh, if the gospel presentation that they responded to was trust in Jesus. Okay. An important factor of coming to Christ. But if it's not an authentic biblical gospel that talks about repentance and faith. Well, Jesus is saying count the cost. Absolutely. Yeah. Because somebody who's come th- into the church um, through understanding I'm a miserable offender and that my life is one of repentance and faith. And Spurgeon talks about the fact that repentance and faith is not the act of a day, but the acquisition of a lifestyle. Hmm. And if people, if that's the gospel that people have heard, then we find them willing and wanting to sit under the word because they see themselves as sinners who need to be taught by God. But if they've been just told, you know, trust Jesus and everything will be okay. In fact, life will be good. Why would they sit under the word? Why would they? Why would they do anything? Yeah. Yeah. They're not. They're not looking to be taught by God. They're looking to get from God. Yeah but not to, to be taught by God. And it's that weaving together of the world's view and ours. I mean, if we're not that different, if the preaching isn't that different from Phil or Oprah, then they're not going to view it that way. And so people come, so you have these, the, the hearers who are looking at it some way, and then the preachers. And so sometimes you have the preacher who's not giving the word as he should. And, and sometimes you have a preacher who's doing just fine, but the hearer really is more interested in hearing Phil or Oprah, and that preacher just isn't like Phil or Oprah. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. And so you've got both of those playing together there. Well, that, that's the word. Uh, how about the sacraments as, as ordinary means? It was interesting. I was looking at a book this week that had, it was on the church, and it had, Two pages on the sacraments, um, both of them together combined the role of the <laughs> two ordinances, pages. the role of the ordinances, and uh, and it had like twelve pages on music. So I mean, I think that 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 says a lot. <laughs> you about, need a, it says you need a new book. <laughs> it says a lot about what's going on there. So I think I do think the sacraments. That illustration you gave there, Sean, was excellent. I think of. Um, we we would not fight over the cup today. Most churches won't, and no. that shows how little we care for the things that God have given. God's given to us. Yeah. Well, and I think that it we've it, it's funny because we're very schizophrenic in the church. We want people to have an experience in the American church, and this is really all over the world. But in the American church, we want people to have a worship experience. Hmm. There's an experiential aspect. Uh, we all sit in the, the Puritan Presbyterian Reformed tradition, and the, the, one of the things that the Puritans were hallmarks for, most people know that they were real sticklers, um, but they had a very warm um, piety. They really wanted to experience the depths of God's grace emotionally. Hmm. They wanted, they wanted to, to have a worship experience, but God's designed one. He's designed it in things like confessions of sin and assurances of pardon, songs of praise, um, and and the table, and, and baptism. I mean, the Westminster um, Standards has a whole question in the larger catechism about how somebody who's sitting in the congregation can profit from a baptism that has nothing to do with them. Hmm. Which is something we need we need to get back to is recognizing when we're having a baptism. This is this is something that happens as a part of the worship of the church. Right. It's not uh, just for the individual. 
Right. Which is which is what we've done is we've replaced the word, the sacraments and prayer. We've replaced them with various individualistic things, giving, you know, giving me uh, what I want to hear, giving me the five points that apply to my life this week, uh, which is which is good. Right. The word should apply to our lives this week. It's uh, Scott Clark in that same article I read from a little bit ago. He says we've replaced the sacraments with spiritual exercises of our own making. He says, a survey of virtually any evangelical bookstore finds dozens of books, this goes back to what you said, Peter, on spirituality, self-denial, church growth, and recovery from various addictions. Some of these contain useful advice. He says, so did some of the medieval handbooks of spiritual direction. But it says, he says, few of them contain the gospel. Hmm. And almost none of them make any reference to the use of the Lord's Supper as a means of Christian growth. It comes back to unbelief. Again, it comes mm-hmm. back to unbelief. Bread, wine, no way. I mean, I think our Catholic counterparts overdo it, but they, they're closer, maybe closer to the truth than we would like to admit in the sense that they understand that something's happening there. You know, at least they understand that. They have it wrong as far as what's happening, but at least they understand something's happening. Mm. And for us... Something crucial. Crucial. Yeah. Even vital. people should take yes. it weekly. Yes, yeah. vital. Yeah. And, uh, and for us, for most evangelical churches, and even those who stand in the Reformed tradition, um, whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian, the Lord's Supper is a place uh, where, and baptism both, have been just downgraded. To almost, to not almost, they are secondary in the life of the church. And part of this is uh, just our misunderstanding of, of what happens in those sacraments and lack of teaching in those. I mean, you read all throughout the scriptures, whether you're talking about Exodus 25, where Moses eats with God on the top of the mountain, whether you're talking about Abraham and Melchizedek. I love, I love that image, the elders gathered around yeah, and elders, God, fe- God provides this feast yeah. for them. And you've got Abraham and Melchizedek, obviously, before that, but, um, you know, uh, Melchizedek. They, they they eat and drink together, and then you've got obviously the Lord's Supper. All these images, John six, it goes on and on, um, and we just don't understand that there we are fed. Jesus feeds us there with Himself. Th- that yeah. is where we experience God. Yeah, and people miss that. I, I don't think we understand that, and that's that's plain by how little time we put into it. Well, if the you know the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism, I think, is absolutely brilliant um, because it, the basic structure of it is guilt, grace, gratitude. Hmm. And that good works are the expression of our gratitude. And if we recognize that the, the primary worship experience that people need to have is the gospel each week, that they need the teaching of the word more broadly, but they need the gospel so that they're convinced each and every week that their sins indeed are forgiven, because gratitude is the engine of the Christian life. And so if we don't give them that gospel each week, remind them of them so that they walk out with gratitude and i can't mm. imagine a better way to help people see great to be grateful than to see christ's body broken anew for them oh, yeah in that we are identifying ourselves Absolutely. with christ that uh, i talked to my my kids about this is that there's that loaf of bread and i asked them what what does this represent and, and they said the body of christ and I say, who is the body of Christ in the Bible? And they think, my, my oldest thinks about it for a second. The young, youngest one's going, I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but, but my oldest is looking at this, and she says, and she says um, the church? Yeah. A- and that's true, is that the body of Christ in Scripture is the church. Mm-hmm. And so as we are, are effectively taking those pieces off the loaf, we are identifying with Christ. Yep. 
who has and with formed each other. the church and with each other and who has formed the church as his body. I mean, that is a powerful, a, heaven forbid this is inappropriate language, it's not. That's a powerful, inex, a powerful experience mm-hmm. of God. Yep. Uh, Burkhoff, in his um, definition of the means of grace, he says these are not objective ordinances. It's not just something you do and it gets the job done. He says, these are subjective conditions for the possession and enjoyment of the blessings of the covenant. Hmm. So these are powerful, powerful things. This is God taking something ordinary and making it extraordinary. Extraordinary. And and maybe that's where we need to go yet. We haven't dealt with prayer. Um, We're going to deal with it more because obviously there's the question, is prayer an ordinary means? That's an issue that as you look through the systematics, I'm sure uh, each of you guys, as you've studied this this week, you've seen that. Some of the guys don't include it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Um, yeah. It's a uniquely, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a uniquely, uh, unique to Great Britain and to its exposition. It was the, it was the latest one. The Westminster Standards come out in the mid-17th century, and you've got Heidelberg and stuff, and you're, you're nearly a century earlier. Um, and so, is this fullest expression, or were these guys the the wackos, or what? You know, that they, so, that they included prayer. That they included prayer as an ordinary means. An ordinary well, means maybe this is a good time to ask this question: Is just taking off that word "ordinary" and saying "means of grace"? What is a means of grace? Hmm. What can you include in that category? Yeah, obviously, the, the preaching of the word, the right. sacraments, prayer. Yeah. Can we go on the assembly? The assembly of God's people. Assembly of God's people. Absolutely. I mean, as you go. Broader, if we it, depending on how we define means of grace, um, if we were to go so broad as to define it as ways in which God brings about our growth, hmm. um, you know, certainly you could go as broad as saying trials, afflictions, trials are a means of grace, persecution, um, spiritual even gifts, spiritual gifts, a, uh, and the experience of them being ministered to and ministering. Um, by everybody in the body, not just uh, preacher types, um, but also wife, children, uh, relationships, fellowship. Your friend Sean, who uh, you know, says that the church doesn't have three marks but four. Yeah, is the, that the fourth being koinonia, yeah, fellowship, a fellowship. You know, and so if we go broader than that, um, you know, I think that there's a lot that you can include uh, in there of ways, things that God uses to mature us uh, in the Christian life. Yeah, so we're not saying these are the only ways that God works. But even, but even in those circumstances, how does an affliction turn into a way that I grow when I filter it through the scriptures? Mm-hmm. How is it that, that a, a, uh, a, a conflict with my wife because I brought her something mechanical for Valentine's Day, how does that... She, <laughs> she, she asked for the food processor. <laughs> She asked for it. <laughs> this will not just be the inaugural edition of Ordinary Means, but the final edition. Of, um, <laughs> because my wife will not let me live through this day yes, for buying absolutely. her food. Yeah, for all, of the, all of the women listening to this podcast have now turned it off. They're not, we're <laughs> only talking to the guys now. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, they They've relate. They've become so offended at you. You know, you know what I have to tell you? This is completely side note. It has nothing to do with the means of grace. When, I was, uh, when we were first married, our first anniversary... She had been complaining all year that the vacuum didn't work. Mm. And so I, you know, I'm this proud young little guy, and, and, I, <laughs> and I, I take her out to the car on our anniversary, and I open up the trunk, and here's this beautifully wrapped vacuum. 
I, th- I think she almost burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> it was very romantic. So we had to we had to go solve that. We had to go fix that. Go out to dinner. I bought her a cat. Oh, so oh, that's where we that's where we got Drick Sorrell, our see. cat. That's the cat. Yes. Where where were we before we get? Well, before we, I know I, that's awful. I shouldn't have done that. Rob Raymond in his Sistio, which is a newer a newer systematic theology, uh, goes in depth, not really in depth, but goes spend several pages looking at why prayer is a means of grace. And he's a hmm. professor at Knox uh, Theological Seminary down in Florida. So, um, and it's, it's a helpful discussion there on why prayer should be included. He talks about how prayer is supernatural. Um, it, of course, the other means are too, but he talks about how it is different in a sense than preaching of the word and sacraments, but it, it should be included underneath that uh, ordinary means. And I think here, especially we're talking about Public prayer. Mm-hmm. We're talking about mm-hmm. public prayer. We're not talking about you in your closet. We're talking about you in the assembly of the. Oh, you mean that big people. long prayer that the pastor does, where I can barely stay awake for? Yes, <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> that big long prayer. That's the one. I, I don't have to be big and long, but it, it can be spread out and short. But um, I think that prayer, that public prayer, is where uh, this means of grace is is seen most. Well, and clearly. I think that in all of these, you know, if we start from all the way on the outside. Of if we were to pick an affliction or a conflict with our wife or whatever, how does that become of benefit to me spiritually? Is when I bring it through the word. Yes. And what are those prayers that those public prayers, those corporate prayers, um, that have powerfully moved us? I, I can remember. Um, a friend of uh, the folks here at the table is a man named Terry Johnson, and he talks about the fact that he listened to a sermon while he was working one day on a tape recorder and listened to a sermon by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, the sermon was good, but the prayer just completely knocked him off. He just mm-hmm. fell down on the ground crying. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever heard a prayer like that in a church? Yeah. Where it would no. be so striking because it, it reflected the honesty uh, of the man praying and the the need of the people in the pew. Um, it's those prayers that reflect Scripture and us accurately that move us. Prayers which which bring us back to uh, the Scriptures and the majesty and the glory of God and our depth of our need, the depth of the repentance that we need for our sins. Uh, now those prayers, those prayers can be used by God. Well, when we talk about these ordinary means being the ways we participate in the benefits of Mm. redemption in Mm -hmm. Christ. Christ's intercessory work for us. The the fact that he is always there at the throne of God praying for For us. us. Amazing! That is, that's just, I, I can't comprehend that. But it is reassuring though, isn't it? Yeah. But would one in a hundred people in our churches even know that? That, need, that Christ, that Christ is there, that. because it, I don't know about you. I mean, I always go and ask and I ask people to pray for us, and and uh, and it's wonderful comfort for somebody to come up and to say, "Hey, we've been praying for you." It's, it's wonderful, but to think that the second person of the Trinity incarnate for us, having lived perfectly, died, resurrected, ascended, is not yet done with His work, hmm. but continues it for us. Now, that's mind blowing. Plus, you've got the Holy Spirit interceding, you know, interceding oh, yeah. for us and translating our prayers. Yeah. So the, the Godhead is all involved in our prayer life. Which is why I think it can be rightly called a means of grace. Exactly. Yeah. Is that it, although, it's not, um, although it's not essentially 
wordly um, in the way that the sacraments and the word obviously it, it ties is. us to the word of God. It does absolutely yeah. because that same Spirit which inspired the word is the one who is at work in us. You, you mentioned we need to, uh, and Peter mentioned this earlier as well, is that we just need to teach these things more. We need to lay these things uh, before the people more. And I, that's why uh, you, you get this argument so often, you know, if we have communion weekly, it's just going to become old. It's going to become old hat to them. What, what do you say to people when they say that to you? You have five minutes left. I think that it, it can. It absolutely can. Anything repetitive, a confession of sin every week, even if it's a different confession of sin, that worship is similar week to week. Anything that people participate in without warm hearts can become stale. And But for the warm-hearted, every time you do it, it's a means of grace. Every right. time. It's God giving you his himself, in a sense. And so, for the warm-hearted, the man who loves his wife, the man who cares for her and finds her a delight, to, to be in her presence often is not a chore. Right. To be to be there, I mean, you sleep with her every night. It's not a chore to do such, you know. Uh, it's a joy. Bit. It's a joy, exactly. So I think for the same thing for the sacraments, to the cold-hearted, to the uh, to the ones who are who uh, do not see the joy of coming to Christ in this way and do not see the joy of these means. Sure. I mean, the same thing preaching the word, though. I mean, you can say the same thing. Well, the word preached every week can be a chore. Well, yeah, to the hard-hearted. It is. And it becomes just heaps of condemnation to the hard-hearted. And, uh, but to those who believe, it becomes growth and growth and grace and grace and faith and faith over and over and over again every week. One of the things that uh, I thought about as we were um, pondering these questions that we're trying to answer today is that both um, the sacraments and prayer make us slow down. Hmm. And that we're such a rapid society that we almost don't have time for anything that would remotely come close to meditation. Oh, we, we could do a whole podcast on simplicity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And solitude. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, just because I think that the reason that we, for example, might not enjoy having the Lord's Supper every week uh, would be that we don't really want in that 10 minutes to ponder uh, that Christ's body was broken because of my sins. Hmm. And the wonder that his body was broken because I'm a sinner, but this is how grace comes to me. But if people aren't used to that dynamic of the guilt, grace, gratitude, if that's not the way that they're trying to live, if they're not seeking to see anew how much of a sinner they are and anew how wonderful the grace of God is and that this is the engine of my gratitude of my Christian life, then why would they have any desire to have the sacrament? Each week they wouldn't. Well, I think as a teaching tool that God has given these things to us as a teaching tool. Uh, God inherently He knows our He knows our weaknesses, and He knows that uh, we need that visual, sensual, Absolutely. if you will, presentation of the gospel. I, I think every parent knows. I mean, if you were a parent involved in parenting at all, whether it's you've got grandkids or you've got your own kids or you're helping somebody else with their kids, um, you, you know that you don't just tell a child once to do something mm-hmm. and evermore they do it. Right. You know that you are continually laying before that child uh, the truth. You're continually pleading with that child and saying, saying to their will, no, walk in this way. 
And that's what we're doing with the ordinary means of grace, is we're laying continually before God's people his word, his sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, prayer, communication with him, and saying, don't you see this? This embodies the Christian life. Mm-hmm. This embodies redemption. This is what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a, that's a good place to end. Uh, we've come to the close of our time for this first February 2006 podcast. Uh, we look forward, if our wives don't kill us when we get home, uh, for our various Valentine's presents, then we will uh, we'll be back, uh, Lord willing, in March. So thank you for joining us today. In the meantime, join in the discussion over at OrdinaryMeans.com. From there, you can link over to our blog, uh, where we'll have comments open to discuss Uh, Feel free, please, to discuss and join in the conversation about some of the things that we have talked about uh, today here on Ordinary Means. And some of your questions, as you post your questions there in the comments, I'm sure will likely be included in uh, future uh, podcasts. Well, as we leave you today, may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue His Ordinary Means. (laughs) 